Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% Podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. Have you ever been at a store and thought, wow, this is an awesome display? Well, if you haven't, I'm sure you're going to after this week's episode where we dive into retail displays with Joshua Linden. Joshua is currently a sales account executive and employee owner at Bay Cities, where they currently help brands and retailers reach their customers by facilitating collaborative initiatives to enhance the brand experience. Joshua is incredibly passionate about retail, the customer experience journey, building strong relationships, and bringing value to others. From the initial thoughts of a display to a product actually being placed on the sales floor, which is an incredible amount of steps as you soon will hear, Bay Cities does it all. Joshua helps his customers such as Walmart, Target, Sam's Club, Costco, and Home Depot, just to name a few. In today's episode, we discussed what it takes to actually get a product on the shelf, maximizing the customer experience, setting customer expectations by using mutual action plans, associating yourself with others more successful than yourself, his advice for retail brands, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Joshua Linden. Joshua, welcome to the show. Awesome. Great to be here. For those who don't know you, could you just explain who is Joshua Linden? All right. Well, a little bit about me. Um, I've been in the industry for retail for about the last eight years, uh, helping uh, brands execute in retail from packaging to displays to signage. Um, and that's everything from the designing to it, the manufacturing, the packing, fulfillment, and then logistics, getting those all out to store. So that's kind of been the world I've lived in for the last eight years. Um, as far as my career, I've worked uh, many different retail environments from in-store to, you know, restaurants to uh, actually working at a dental company. So I think that there's a lot of different forms of retail. And so it's, it's a kind of a fun world. Absolutely. And I want to dive way back and unpack everything up to where you're getting to this packing debut, right? But, but so let's dive back because I think in every single conversation that I have, notice that a lot of the things that you're doing right now actually come back to a lot of the things that you did early. And, and obviously, to your point already, you're working in the retail space and, and, and now focusing more on the, the marketing and the brand side of things. But before, you were just somebody who started in retail, working in retail. So I'm sure there's a lot of jobs and experience that you had um, that helps you there. So let's start at the Joshua Hollister management days. So oh, let's, man. Let's, let's take a step back could you paint a picture of, was this in high school? What were you doing? What, what was it like? And ultimately, what did you learn in Hollister to begin with? Yeah, I think um, I learned a lot. First of all, I think that retail, um, if you're willing to put in the work, um, you're going to learn a lot. So I think that something that separated me uh, amongst the other people that I worked with was I was always all in. So I wanted to learn everything every little thing. So, you know, when I started at Hollister at Abercrombie, it was like, you know, the typical, you know, you're walking by the store, there's a greeter there. They're like, Hey, you want to come work for us? And I'm like, sure. And you smell you the know? store from halfway across the, the mall, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You can smell the store from a mile away as you walk into the mall. Um, and, you know, it kind of kicked that off for me. I, I didn't really have a job at the time. I was still in high school. Um, and I was like, this sounds cool. There's a lot of fun people here. Seems like a cool environment. Like, let's go for it. I, I you know, I wanted to make some extra money and uh, had some free time. So I jumped right in. And, you know, it was a really cool opportunity because I was able to grow very quickly there. Um, within three months, they they promoted me to a lead stock manager position, a stock position, and then just kind of kept moving up. And I think that that experience really allowed me to understand visual merchandising and really how brands, how successful brands like Hollister and Abercrombie did what they did, right? It's, a, it's about the whole experience, the smell, the sight, the hearing, um, the, the feelings that you get when you're in there. Um, you know, there's a lot of beautiful people. There's a lot of clothing and apparel and smells. Um, lighting was very, uh, you know, um, important in those stores, but also making sure that the product was the feature, right? So it was a very kind of dynamic environment, um, lots to learn there. That's so interesting too. And it's so funny that now that you bring all those points back, like it almost brings me back to like, I could envision myself walking into the Hollister store. It's the darker, but has a nice bright light on a, a nice coat or something that you want to buy. Like yeah, it is all about that brand. And I think it's really interesting that um, you probably weren't thinking that way when you were working there but now you have a different approach on it as well. So, um, and by the way, I, I still to this day use Jake Hollister cologne and I absolutely love it. So, um, awesome. so there's the Hollister plug there as well. Um, but okay, cool. So you talk about visual merchandising and, and having a successful experience. Let's move a little bit further into, you know, you mentioned that you also worked 
in some restaurants as well. I noticed that you yeah. were a server for a little bit at Lone Star. Yeah. What did what did that teach you about experience? Well, I think I think that that really got you know because retail is one thing; it can be a little bit slow. You know, you're not always the traffic is flexible. Um, same thing with uh, you know the restaurant industry, but it's a little bit more high paced, fast, um, depending on you know if it's a lunch rush or a dinner rush or maybe a late night happy hour. I think uh, it really gave me a lot of skills to, you know, interact with people individually and personally as, you know, cause I wanted everyone to have that, you know, experience and like, Hey, like we, we came to Lone Star Steakhouse and loved it because of Josh, right? Like, yes, they come in there for the great food, but I want them to come back for me and for the food. Um, so it was really about making those individual experiences for those guests. Um, and Lone Star Steakhouse was really fun because you actually got the line dance. So that was kind of a little bit of a fun experience there is every hour on the hour at night, we got to dance. So that really did kind of, uh, you know, help with the tips. <laughs> now, that's so funny. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. So you were, you were performing there as well. And then like, say you were done uh, with that line dancing, like when you went over to a table, would they comment on it or would they like say they appreciated it or like, what did that look yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. It was always interesting. There were some people that were completely like, what is happening? I did not know they did this. And then the other people were like really excited about it. Um, and then I think most of the servers were never really that excited about it because when you're in the middle of serving tables and it's busy, the last thing you want to do is start dancing. <laughs> but it did add to the experience and it was an opportunity to kind of show, you know, just have some fun um, and kind of break up, break up the, you know, the busyness of the night. So I always enjoyed that kind of break. Um, and then, you know, the guests don't really see it as a negative experience as long as their food comes out on time. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So what are the, what's the importance to you of, of make, it sounded like, you know, you had to take a step back from working really hard, but you were doing something that was fun to you, right? Like what's the importance of trying to mix in fun while also managing the working hard and getting things done? Yeah, I think it definitely comes down to mindset. Um, you got to have fun in everything you do. Not everything is going to be enjoyable. You know, like dealing with, uh, you know, an upset customer is not going to be fun. Um, and so having moments where you can kind of step back and, you know, laugh and have a little bit of enjoyment um, is important because it's not always about, you know, that that is a single moment. It doesn't define, you know, my life or their life, um, you know, but you always also have the opportunity to recover that. Right. Like someone can still have a bad experience and leave happy. So I think that when you look at that, that like you. You need to make sure that they, you know, hey, stuff's going to happen. You know, the kitchen's going to mess up. You know, your drink might be a little longer or, you know, maybe I forgot to bring out your salad. You know, it, but it, there's always room for recovery and making sure they have a, at the end of the day, they leave with a good feeling and, you know, um, an experience. And what did that job, because obviously there is, you know, you hear waiters wearing the egg on their face if, if something, if there was a mess up in the kitchen and, and you're the one who's held accountable. And I'm sure that that translates into your job now. I'm sure there's situations where um, you're customer facing and there's some kind of issue that's out of your control that ultimately you had to wear the egg on your face, right? What's, what's your biggest piece of advice that you learned in those the restaurant days that you're currently leveraging right now in that respect? I think it's important to be... Um you know, communicate, right? Like, I think the biggest thing is communication, um, you know, when it comes to those things and making sure uh, the, you know, the customer understands what's happening, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing is most people, if, they, if they're not, if there's no touch points and no one's checking on you, you start to wander, right? If they're not having, you know, a good conversation between each other and they're just kind of sitting there, they're going to be like, Time's a ticking, buddy. Where's my steak? Where's my drink? You know, so I think really playing it, you know, it is a case by case basis, depending on, you know, the table and the guest and what, you know, what you have to really read them. I think that's another thing is like, you got to be able to read people. So you got to read people really fast. You know, are they on a date? Are they not on a date? This is the first date is, you know, are they having an anniversary? Is this a bad night, a good night? You know, are they celebrating anything? So trying to get connected with each table um, for me was really important. Wow. And I, and I just hear it's, it's so amazing. I got the chills a little bit there as well, because I literally hear the sales professional coming out of you right there of like, you need to meet your customer, your guest, your client, whoever it is, where they are and give them the best possible experience by providing a solution. So that's so interesting. What kind of advice do you have? Because sometimes I struggle with that as well around trying to delineate reading people of trying to find out what kind of person, what kind of buyer are they essentially, right? Just talking from a sales perspective, what kind of advice do you have on, or, or from your experience 
do you have around trying to really quickly be able to read your crowd? I mean, a lot of it is intuitive, um, right? Like for me, it's always been very intuitive. I can read people. Um, so that's, that's, that's my gift, right? Like I have that ability. Um, and so I'm grateful for that gift. Um, but then there's also a lot of training that's gone behind that, right? Like understanding, asking the right questions, reading the room. You know, I think a lot of it, especially with serving, it's all, it's all about cadence and consistency of repeating the same stuff. It can be a little boring, um, but you can also have some fun with it, right? You know, so you don't have to be, oh, welcome to Lone Star Steakhouse, you know, can I get you a steak or, you know, what's your favorite drink? Like, have fun. Like, hey, my favorite drink on the menu is this. You know, this this is one of our top sellers. I think you would enjoy it. And it you goes know, really it's- well with our steak, right? Right. That's correct. Yeah. What type of, I've literally asked this question, like, what type of experience are you looking to have? Like, do you want me in your face talking to you the whole time? Or do you want me in the back ignoring you? You know, like sometimes it's good to ask, ask like, Hey, what type of experience are you looking to have today? I think that that's celebrating, right? I think that's so important, whether you're a server, I mean, especially if you're a server, because you're that specific front line, like they're not hanging up the phone on you because you're literally right in front of them. Right. Oh, that is, that is so good. I literally just hear all of these sales skills just coming right out of you and really catering your experience. And I, it's a clear indicator of why you, why you love the branding side of things and everything that you have there as well. So before we jump into um, into where you are now with Bay Cities, I really want to talk a little bit more about some of your uh, additional experience. Like obviously, you worked at Potter, Pottery Barn for a little while. Um, you did some additional retail sales, and then um, and then you also were a marketing specialist. Yeah. Out of all of these roles, like what was that? You know, let's just take the marketing specialist out of, out of it first before we jump into the the marketing side of things. Like, yeah. what was the biggest piece? of advice that you learned, whether it was in retail or serving that you're continuing to use right now, besides the communication and getting in front of these people, what does that look like? Um, I think it's always, always be learning, you know, like, I think it's really about learning and making sure that you're focusing on the customer experience, right? At the end of the day, like it's their choice. They can, they can pick and choose who they fire and who they work with. And, you know, it's up to them, you know, they can fire everyone down. I mean, I love this quote, I, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but there's a quote from Sam Walton. It's basically like, you know, the customer can fire everyone from the CEO down just by not shopping here. Right. So like, for me, that was a very, very, um, you know, I didn't know that quote till I moved out to Arkansas, you know, started working in the Walmart world, but that is something that resonated with me. Cause that was how I treated it is like, they'll, if I give them a bad experience, they're never coming back. And so, you know, if I treat every guest like that, like the, the, this could be their last time and make sure they have a good experience, then they're always going to want to come back. And I think that I really did play to some of my skills, you know, in serving and, you know, beyond that is just being a customer service facing person. Like I, I care about the experience um, for the customer. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's not about me. <laughs> I love that. And I think it's really interesting because you work with wall, you work with these big box retailers, like, like the Walmarts and the targets. And I think target was on there. Um, a couple, a couple of these other big names. And I think it's really cool. What you did was you took what the founder of Walmart or one of the main people and made their core mission, one of your core missions so that you could be, I think it's really important to um, whether, whether it's for personally, for somebody to, to going to a new company, you need to align your core values to a company core values or even your yep. core values as a business owner or, you know, with your clients. So um, I love that you took that same approach and are using his same terminology in where you are now. So I can't wait to jump into this, into the, the retail stores. But before that, I need to ask, so we have this, you know, we have your career journey so far, right? Where you're, you're learning how to customer to your, your or cadence to your customers, right? Cater to their needs, I guess I should say. Um, you're giving them a positive experience. And it's now it seems like you're, you're moving into a marketing role and you're focusing a little bit more on the brand side of things. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit more about what you learned in marketing and how that's potentially helping where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so kind of stepping back a little bit. So my when I went to school, my, my degree was in product and brand management. So I really have a passion for, you know, brand and how they get from point A to point B, right? Like how do they do their messaging? How do they package their products? How are they branding their products? What is that, what is that experience they're giving the consumer? Um, and then, you know, when I looked at this company, I was like, wow, like marketing for dental, hmm, I didn't know anything about it. 
Um, and I kind of just wanted to jump in because I was like, wow, they have over 300 offices of orthodontic and, you know, dental locations. And basically the role that they brought me into is at the time they were in the middle of a rebrand. So they were, um, trying to lift up the perception. I mean, a lot of people don't want to go to the dental, you know, they don't want to go to the dentist, right? right. <laughs> I, my wife has to schedule my appointments. Like I won't do it. <laughs> so, like, like that's kind of how it is. And so at the time that was the goal was to kind of raise that brand awareness, make sure people are comfortable coming to the, you know, the dentist office and know the capabilities and know the staff um, because the staff is really who, you know, is on the ground every single day, right? And they didn't, and some of these store in locate, not stores, but these locations, these offices did not know how to interact. You know, they were just so busy. And, and, and at that time um, that when they started to slow down, they were like, well, what do we do? So we basically went into these 300 locations for, you know, about six months to a year and helped retrain them. So how to go out and do grassroots marketing. So that's going out to, you know, the chamber of commerce and going out to local organizations and getting involved and finding out how they can do more within the community and connect and build relationships and rapport. Um, that's really what it came down to, especially with new store offices that we were opening up in Texas and Arizona and Nevada at the time. It, you know, no one knew who they, you know, we rebranded. So it was like, no one knew who we were. So they're like, okay, why would we choose you over, you know, Dr. Steve over here who I've been seeing for, you know, the last 15 years. And so I think that it was a really good opportunity to learn about, you know, how people perceive the dentist world and also what experiences they still want to have when they're there. So I think it was really kind of a good learning and testing ground to, you know, how do you get someone to come in to do something that they really, really, really don't want to do? I love that. And a lot of people, and you could kind of see that too. Probably a lot of people don't want to go into box re retailer stores anymore now. So um, whether it's COVID I, mean, I kind of disagree a little bit about that. I still feel like people want to go into stores. Um, I think it's something has to drive them, right? Whether it be a new product or something that's innovative happening in the store. And I think that that's going to be the future of retail. We can get into that a little bit later. Oh yeah. So taking that to the next level of experiential retail um, you, that's a real big buzzword, but I don't think we're, we're even close to where we should be, um, with what that looks like. I love that. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about that too. Before we jump into that, because I know that we've been holding this back. This is what I want to focus on, but you mentioned with this dental example, that it was something that you didn't necessarily know about an industry that you weren't oh. totally aware about, but then you wanted to jump in because you wanted to learn and help solve those problems. What advice do you have somebody who's, who's potentially going into a, uh, an industry that they aren't familiar with and how could they help to navigate that? Um, don't be afraid. Try new things. Um, I think that that's what separates me from some of the other people out there is that I'm not afraid. Like, I'm afraid of a lot of things, but like, that's not one thing is just trying new things um, and getting outside of my comfort zone. Like that's what I actually kind of thrive in that environment. I like to learn. I like to ask questions. So I think um, I kind of lost track of your. <laughs> no, it, Sorry, I just totally dropped out there. <laughs> oh no, it's no worries at all, man. Just the most important thing was like, was like, don't be afraid yes. of, of going and doing something that you're not afraid of or, or that you haven't done before, because to your point, you learn so much and you, and it, and it, you're taking those skills that you learned and you're bringing them into your current life now. So that's yeah. one of the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways that I had from that is I'm huge into the transferability of skills because no matter what you're doing, even if it's the most mundane thing that you could ever imagine, like sweeping up peanut shells or something like at, at you know, at Lone Star, I'm sure you learned something there, right? Like there's so many different things, pushing carts. I pushed carts before I stacked lumber. Like there's so many different jobs that I learned so much in my career alone. And I think you're another testament to this of not being afraid and, and kind of jumping into it. All right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I think the other thing is that, you know, I kind of lean into who I am. Like I'm a little ADD, you know, like that's who I am. And I, you know, I've embraced that. So I've always been like interested in so many different things. I'm like, okay, like I have, I want to help them, you know, like, I don't know anything about them, but I know that I can help them. So like, that's how I see it. Um, especially in the world that I live in now, which is a lot of, re you know, mainly retail um, and working with brands and retailers. So it's, you know, you really want to go to them with ideas and help them think about things. Because I think when you're, when you're a brand, you're a retailer, you're kind of focused on what's in front of you and you may not be able to step back. So I think sometimes it's important to have someone like, you know, me or, you know, some other retail expert to kind of come in, look at your business and see, hey, where can you improve? What can you do um, to take it to the next level? 
That's so great. And this is a perfect segue into the experiential retail. And really, and really, I think this this kind of dives into the sales side of things too. Cause like I know I learned so much about the sales profession while I was working in retail. Uh, so, you know, I worked at Lowe's, I worked at a couple grocery stores, um, a variety of different retail type areas. So I understand um, what, what kind of goes into it. Um, but now, but now the interesting thing that you mentioned there is that, that you mentioned that you're, you're going and you're bringing these ideas to these leaders that they may not have had because they're, they're so focused that head down operations, let's get these sales, whatever we have to do. What's your biggest piece of advice around um, not calling some somebody's baby ugly, but also really trying to provide really valuable recommendations based upon what some of your other customers are doing that they could potentially implement in their store to achieve whatever goal is that they're looking for? That's exactly right. And I think it's really kind of showing them what's already being done, um, what's working, um, cause I think the biggest thing is everyone's like, well, we got to do something new. We got to do something innovative. And that's not always the case. Like, I don't think brands need to go big and wow every single time. I think that it's important to know your market and know who you're trying to talk to, right. And making sure that they understand what you're communicating. So I think it's, it's a very, um, you know, nuanced, uh, thing, um, when it comes to, you know, planning for retail and you definitely don't want to be like, oh, well, what you're doing sucks. Like right. stop doing that. Now. Sure, there are people that would want to hear that type of direct feedback, but there are kinder ways to say, I'm like, hey, like, have you guys looked into this? You know, here's what's working for A, B, and C company, you know, that we're already working with. Here's some examples of how brands have taken it to the next level um, by putting a little bit of effort into planning, right? Because I think most of it comes down to is they're running so fast. The last thing they think about is, you know, being, you know, in a display, being, you know, have some, some type of special signage. Um, they're just trying to get their products on the shelf. Right. Um, and so I think that when you look at it holistically, like you have to plan for what may happen. And I think, you know, what I encourage brands to do is start planning six months to 12 months out for your signage and packaging and display programs, because when that buyer is ready, you need to be ready. And so those lead times and those, you know, all the nuances, logistics and, you know, getting coordinating all the materials to come into one location, making sure your product is, you know, being shipped and it's not stuck at the port, um, you know, and then making sure you can get these trucks to come in and pick up. Right. Um, and then you still have to make sure that you have the right cart markings and everything on your, you know, your packaging and display so that they can execute it efficiently at the store. Um, so there, there's, there's a lot that happens from just designing you know, in manufacturing and packing. And so I think that, you know, for us, it's really about looking at the whole picture. Um, and I think that's where brands can win is when they take a step back and they look at the whole picture, like, okay, how are we getting into retail? Where can we help, you know, save money or, you know, think about costs differently? Because there's, there's a lot that, um, you know, brands are trying to do. Yeah. And you really think about it. And that that's so interesting. And thank you so much for painting such a vivid picture because as, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, wow, next time I walk into a store, like I'm literally going shopping after this interview, like I'm going to look around and see a, a, a display and say, wow, there's actually a lot of work that went into that behind the scenes that yeah. we had no clue about. And I think it really just yeah. gives you a, a good sense of appreciation. And I'm sure you probably walk around um, in retail stores thinking, oh, that's a nice, that, you know, that's nice. That's cool. That's great. But let's just take a step back from that, and, and I want to learn a little bit more about what Bay Cities does and how you guys help your customers specifically. And then I yeah. really want to dive into um, some of the previous conversation that we had around um, the shelf versus being on the store or, or on the on the ground rather in a display and, and really some yeah. of those other tips that um, us people outside of retail would need. But first, let's just start with what do you do at Bay Cities besides retail, pop displays, packaging? Like, how do you help your customers? So I think what's unique about us is we really want to look at the whole business, right? Because I think when, you know, at least from my experience, what, you know, many might do is like, oh, well, we just want to look at it from, you know, this opportunity, one opportunity at a time. And I don't think that that's an effective way, especially if you're trying to, you know, for an emerging brand that's trying to, you know, be uh, more of like a lean startup where they're trying to cut costs and find ways to be efficient. Like it's really important to dig into that planning um, and looking at all of the retailers. Where are you looking to go, right? Are you in Walmart? Are you in Target? Are you in Kroger? Are you in Best Buy? Are you in Joann's or Michael's? Um, have you thought about going into those retailers? Are they interested? How can we help you? Um, 
and you know each of those retailers has their own nuances too you know their carton markings how they ship things do they need to be on one pallet or two pallets um you know there's a lot that goes into it and so i think that you know helping brands plan is really what is where we win right and looking at how do we you know what products do you have what products do you see you know the you know the retailer wanting more of can we do a collaboration right like we do a lot of collaborative displays um, which is unique um, for retail because usually what you'll see is one one product that's it like on an end cap mm -hmm. um, what we help execute is multi-vendor programs um, multi-department programs which is like kind of unheard of um, but we've found a way to execute that in the store level in an effective way so it helps consumers find products better right so we're now putting you know, let's think if you go into a Walmart during the holiday season, we do these large holiday trains where we have hundreds of different products on there um, from, you know, sometimes from 15 to 30 different brands. Um, and so giving that experience and helping execute that is really important because obviously one, you know, consumers want to find the best products for, you know, for their family or for their kids or, you know, whatever that is. But then also, you know, they need to have a diverse group, right? Because it's not just a Hasbro or a Mattel. There's lots of smaller brands too. And so they, they can partner and put them on one display versus maybe walking away from an opportunity um, because they can't afford it, right? Because some of these brands don't have the budgets to invest in to the display so that they can be in a position to sell more products, right? So when we do these collaborative um, multi-vendor programs, it makes it easier for them to execute, right? They're like, hey, you know what? I can't pay, these are figurative costs, let's say $100 yep. for that display. But if you get five other people to join that display and you know, cut that up, you know, now it's only $20 display and I can't afford that. So I'm thinking finding those solutions and kind of thinking it differently, um, that's kind of where my mind is, is like, okay, what's, what's being done and how do we change it? That's so interesting. So you're, you're looking for, um, ways to kind of bring, you're almost a quarterback trying to collaborate, uh, or trying to have brands collaborate or say, you know, complement each other, I guess. Right. Um, what's your, I mean, what's the, how much more from a sales perspective are these brands seeing when they're combining? Because I think that like, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm here and Josh's brand is right next to me, Josh has a great brand, but if I'm associated with Josh, then my stock is going to go up too, right? Do you see a lot more of these small players really benefiting as a result of working with the Mattels and those other big brands? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not direct, you know, obviously some of those bigger brands are going to want to be on their own display and they have the funds to do that because they also have the product assortment. So there are emerging brands where they may have one item, you know, or a few items. And so again, like they're not going to have enough to fill a whole display unless it's a really hot item. Right. Um, so it really allows flexibility for not only the, the buyer, but for the brand to have to jump into those types of opportunities so that they can, you know, basically buy a slot, you know, right. you're kind of a slotting fee on that display and say, Hey, look, you know, we can execute this for you turnkey. It's going to cost you X. Um, and it kind of gives them an easy, you know, I can or cannot do this. That, that's incredible. I think it's so cool that you're taking all these brands. And, and, and the other cool thing, I think, from a relationship perspective is like, yeah, you're working at these big box retailers. So you're allowed to use their brand to help what you're doing to also get connected into some of these other big toy brands or whatever brands you're working with. So I think it's really cool that it seems like you're able to, um, I, I guess, I don't want to ride the go the coattail of some of these bigger brands to help bring in some of those other brands for your business as well. So I think that that's, that's really cool. And I'm, I, it's so, I'm so excited to go to the store now just to go check out. Yeah, these things. It's really interesting because a lot of them come to us because we have a reputation um, within Walmart and within retail, a lot of them are coming to us and be like, Hey, how do you help us do better? Right. Um, and that may not be us always being the cheapest person out on the market. Right because of the value that we bring, the, the, the speed, the, um, the quality, the expertise. Um, I think another thing to be very uh, um, aware of is that I wanna work with people that know how to fail, right? Like people, like retail is a very stressful, fast-paced, unpredictable environment. I mean, you, you think about all of those steps that I just described, you got design, graphics, 
production, manufacturing, you have to worry about the other person's product getting to you. You have to worry about the logistics of it getting to you. Then you have to worry about building it, putting it all in correctly, and then safely shipping it to the stores. Right. With somehow what is- getting executed and not failing, right? Like, and making sure it has good sell through and everyone's happy and we all win, right? Like that's the goals. We want to win together. Like we are nothing without the trust of the brands and the retailers that we work with. So like if we fail, we all fail, right? And so I think kind of setting them up for success um, and, you know, is just a lot of fun. No, that's amazing. And literally just thinking about this, like you look at a, a, a display in the store and you think, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But like how many people, well, across all of the, the creative and the, the logistics, how many people are actually involved from the beginning of a product to me being able to go and buy that off the shelf? Like, is it hundreds of different people that are involved in that simple thing? Absolutely. And people don't understand yeah, gotta, that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable how um, little people understand how, what it takes to get your, like, let's say it's this little ducky. Yep. This ducky from, let's say, China to your house. I mean, it takes months, sometimes years, right? Like years in the planning of getting this to your house, like somehow, right? And I think it's it's just something that's missed. You're like, oh, I got it, perfect. But like how many people touch that? How many people make sure that your, your product that you're enjoying right now got to you the way and had the experience that they wanted you to have? That's I mean, it, it's incredible. I mean, you just look at the design department. I mean, we, because we have people that review it, you know, you have your designer that does the actual artwork and then you have people that review their work, right? Right. To make to double check it. And then you give that back to the client, you know, and then they check it and then they send it through their approvals. So, I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of working parts um, and timelines are incredibly important um, to make sure those are successful. And that was the next step that I wanted to talk about because I saw a recent post that you had and it was it was regarding the number one question that you get from brands when reviewing display projects. And, and you mentioned in that that you start with the customer end in mind and then yeah. ultimately ha- build that actionable plan for an on-time retail success. So number one, let's start with what constitutes retail success? Um, I mean, that really <laughs> great question. That depends on who you're talking to right? Are you talking to the brand? Are you talking to the buyer? Um, and then are, are you talking to us? For us, like obviously getting it to the store safely and effectively um, is what's, that's, that's considered success, right? We got it from point A to point B and it's selling. Like that's, that's our goal, right? Now, obviously the brand's goal is to make sure that product sells out. And the same thing with a buyer, but they, they're all going to look at different metrics. They're all going to, you know, is it how, how fast it sell through or is it the right price? So I think, it, is it a seasonal item? Is it, you know, a promotion? Um, so I think, or is it a test? So there's, there's a lot of brands, like I'm working on a project right now where we're going to ship five displays. You know, it's a very quick turn. We got a less than 20 days to execute, um, but it's a test. They want to see how quickly you know, what, it, what, how um, the consumers will react to the, this type of presentation in the store level, right? Um, because there's, there's ways to, um, you know, with newer brands and newer products, sometimes you have to go, go into stores and see how people interact with the display and what happens to the display um, because it's maybe a little bit different than what's been in there before. So there's, there's just a lot to think about. That, that is amazing. And, and what's your biggest, I, I'm a true believer that it, to have the most success as well, you need to start with whatever that goal is that that customer has. No matter, and I love that you mentioned that it's specific to everybody because every, nobody's the same, right? So I think yeah. that that's a really good distinction. But um, I, I'm a true believer, you know, from my technology sales experience that uh, it's important of okay, here's what you're, you're you're telling me your main goal is. Let's work backward to have this actionable plan to say, okay, here's when what this should be done. Here's when this should be done based upon my experience. What's your biggest piece of advice in, in creating, whether they're in the retail world or not, what's the importance in, in how do you create an effective, effective, actionable plan that both you and your customer could take on to align proper expectations? Well, I think a lot of it is, <coughs> excuse me. I think a lot of it is just understanding the process. So what does that look like? Is, is, is Where's your product coming from? How's it coming in? you know, what type of display is it going into, how much needs to go into that display, um, and just kind of really getting into the nuances of all of those steps. Who has to do your approvals for artwork? Is it just internal or is it with a retailer? 
right? Because if it needs to go to the retailer, you're going to need a, a little bit of extra time there, right? Um, if your if your product is if the display is complex, right? Because we don't work just with corrugate, you know, box, brown box, you know, uh, right? You know, cardboard, cardboard. Yep. cardboard. I, I I was really almost some packaging guy is cringing at me right now. Um, <laughs> corrugated packaging, don't don't hate no hate mail. Um, but like that's that's the thing is like you got to really think about all of those steps. Um, and because be I mean we use plastics sometimes we use metals. Um, because of the weight of the product, um, you know, sustainability wise, I, I try to lean away from that, but sometimes there is a need, right? And I, I think that that's what people need to understand is that, you know, yes, sustainability is one thing, but, you know, sometimes there's a need to be a little bit more fun and have some, you know, uh, an experience at the store level. So if let's say it's a plastic material, PETG or something like that, you may need an eight to 15 weeks additional lead time in your in your planning. And so if you didn't understand that, or maybe, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we've had longer lead times on V boards and, you know, pallets and these special components that typically were fast, right? Now you're having to build that extra time into your timeline. Most brands aren't going to understand that. So they, they do look to us to help guide them in understanding that process, because if not, they won't be able to execute. And then also, you know, looking for solutions on top of that, right? Like how can we expedite you know, what are other ways to make sure that you stay on time um, right. and hit your, you know, your MABD or your available to ship date. Um, MABD stands for must arrive by date. Okay. Um, and that could be either to the direct store or to um, the DC. So that it just depends on what retailer you're working with, but there's, you know, typically they'll use the term in-store date or must arrive by date. That's amazing. And there are so many different uh, things in there, but one of the biggest takeaways that I had is that you're asking the right questions so that you're able to really show and, and while you're asking those right questions to properly set that uh, actionable list of things, you're really showing yourself as a true ex expert of providing what the supply chain is doing right now, providing those extra times because, or, or even, you know, Hey, if you guys use corrugated boxes now, but right now we have a surplus of this kind of plastic. I know it's not as sustainable, but if it will help to meet your expectations, right? Like, but the biggest thing is that you're able to show your true expertise while yeah. doing this up, this action plan, besides just the actionable, the actionable plan of what's actually going to be get done from it, stepping away from that and, and really like, you know, you're, you're showing yourself as a thought leader, you're showing that what other major takeaways are there in developing that actionable plan, whether it's benefits for you, for the customer, what does that look like? I think most of it always benefits the customer, right? Like when you get ahead of these things, it, it, it's going to help everybody, right? Like it's going to help me, it's going to help them um, because timelines do get crunched. So I think the more planning you do, the more you understand upfront, the better you'll be able to execute. Um, so, and that, that is, that is an easier thing said than done. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, there's a lot of working parts. Like, I mean, we have to be extremely flexible. We have to be able to, you know, kind of roll with the punches and, you know, especially in this year, like, I mean, we had projects for like back to school that were, you know, we couldn't even ship because we didn't have product, you know, like wow. customers get paid for displays and you can't even, you don't even have the product to put into it. And then you don't even, can't even get it to the stores. Um, and so, you know, you really have to find, you have to, you know, dig deep and find solutions um for your clients um for the brands that we work with so that they can be successful because you know if their product's not in store they're not selling right like that's if the more time it's in our hands the less time it can sell at the store so if, you know finding those solutions and being flexible um i think really is what it comes down to just saying hey look we'll figure it out yeah absolutely it sounds like the hard times are, are really making you or forcing you to be more creative in your yeah, solutions absolutely. in your efforts so i think that that no matter what um, obviously you need to make sure that you're managing the expectations for your customers. Um, but I think that the, you know, obviously the most important thing is that you're still learning in the meantime of being more creative there as well. So yeah. I love that. Josh, is there, Joshua, is there any other things that people outside of the retail signage space should know as a consumer that they may not know about the industry right now? Um, as a consumer or as a, as a retail? Let's, let's start with a consumer and then we'll go into, um, for, if you're a brand. Okay. So I think for consumers, um, just appreciate the beauty of these things that they go into store. You know, I think that it really is for them, you know, obviously, 
you know, they have to sell a product, but I think that the, they want to be able to create a fun experience for people when they're in the store. So I think, you know, going in and understanding that process of what goes into it and how many people were involved to make sure that the customer had a good experience really adds value to, um, you know, the brand, right? Like I think people understanding like how hard it is to get products to them um, and the amount of work and effort because, you know, yeah, it is about making a profit and selling a really cool product or toy or whatever it is. But this, at the end of the day, without the trust of the consumer, without these people, you know, loving your brand, if you let them down, they may walk away. So every touch point is incredibly important. Um, and retail is just another one of those things. I mean, you can talk omni-channel and think about all of that. But I think really what it comes down to is that they want to make sure that their experiences um, with their brand is the best that they can have. I love it. Now let's talk from the brand perspective. What should they be knowing in this? Oh gosh, there's so much to know. I think really is, you know, my, my, my biggest takeaway is just make sure you're planning, right. You're thinking about those things, but also, you know, looking at other industries, other, other product categories, making sure you're not limiting yourself to what you see in your category. Right. Because that's what will kill you. In my opinion, like you need to be innovating. And so Innovation doesn't mean that it has to be new. It just has to be new for that category. So, you know, maybe that is just using a QR code, right? QR codes are huge. Everyone's using them, but then making sure that they're, they're, they're actually providing some value. Right. You know, we didn't run this display, but I'm thinking of one right now for Gillette. It's this new heat shaver. That's like incredibly cool, um, little expensive product, but at the store level at a Walmart, that's not a price point that, you know, not everyone's going to be interested in, right? It's like $124 for this like battery charger. It's, it's, it's an, it's an elite shaver, right? Right. What they did was because that wasn't a normal product that they would sell in the store. They put a QR code on there that directed them to walmart.com or the Walmart app so they can purchase that item directly immediately in the store. Right. So yeah, they have a couple items there um, that are your lower price items, you know, you got 2497, you know, 3497, and then they had that higher price item, you know, on a QR code. So, you know, that not only helps with shrink, you know, from the retailer's perspective, but it also helps for education of like, Hey, look, you know, here's some, you know, lower cost options, but if you want to pay more, you can, and you can do it right now. I love that. It's so cool of, of taking almost jumping in, giving that more experiential um, space to retail while also meeting customers where they are. If everybody's everybody's focused right now, or at least during COVID times on the e-commerce side of things, it seems. Right. And people, and there's not as much foot traffic in the store, but as as we continue to hopefully get through this pandemic, or at least people get more comfortable with being in some of these stores, um, that's so important to meet them where they are and, and provide them with technology in that experience that you mentioned um, along the way. So Joshua, thank you so much for that. Did you have anything else to add before we have some, a couple wrap up questions? No, that's it, man. Oh, I love it. So this is, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I want to ask the, the question that I ask every guest on the show. Um, if you're going to teach and you're smiling, so I bet you, I, I hope that you thought of an answer here. Uh, if you're teaching a college one-on-one class based upon all of your life experience, what would you teach and why? Oh man, I would teach trust in the power of pursuit. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in my life is to, to get uncomfortable and to um, go after your goals. Um, even if it doesn't, if they're not achieved in the timeline that you want them to be achieved. I think that taking risk um, for me, I didn't get to tell you a lot about my backstory, but I'm originally from California. So I moved to Northwest Arkansas with no friends, no family, uh, you know, I had to get engaged to my wife at the time. So go out there, take risk, do things that make you uncomfortable. That's where you're going to grow. That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. And as you know, as a, you know, as a, as a father, as an, you know, as a, as a, you know, a business person, uh, you know, as a friend, like that's the things that I think about that have defined me, um, is, you know, taking risk, um, uh, calculated risk. Right. Um, and, and <laughs> right. Cause you don't want to take something without understanding it, but I think right. just getting uncomfortable, um, and, uh, trusting that, you know, if you go all in, that it's going to work out. Um, and it always does. I mean, it may not be the perfect, perfect, you know, life does this, right. um, but you know, you can always be going up. That is fantastic. I would absolutely take that class. If you put it together, please let me know. Uh, I, I will be seat number one. You mentioned right. about being a father and you've posted some pictures. Uh, you have two daughters, father of two daughters and, and your wife. A daughter, your and a, son. daughter oh, and a son. 
basketball oh, world. So, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I must have confused. There's been so many holiday pictures. So my my apologies. He's there. a beautiful little boy. Okay, he's got some long curly hairs. We get it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my apologies, man. I'm so sorry. So if you were so so, what is your best piece of parenting advice? Oh my, um, practice patience, love and patience. I think that you know. Um, kids do a lot of weird things and you're going to learn a lot from them because they're direct mirrors of you, right? Like that's, that's, I hate saying that because everyone, that's what I, what I was always told, you know, growing up, like, wait till you have kids, you'll understand. And, and now I do. Um, but I think just allowing them to, um, you know, being patient and kind and loving to them and allowing them just to be themselves um, and not putting any pressure on them is been kind of a really fun experience for me as a father is just letting them be them. Um, how, whatever that looks like, even if it means them screaming their heads off and having right. an emotional moment and addressing that, Hey, I, I hear that you're really upset right now. Daddy's here for you. You know, I mean, it just, just that to me, um, I love it. That's, that's why I show up every day. Oh, that's amazing. Joshua. Thank you so much, man. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can learn more about Bay Cities at bay-cities.com. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn um, and also um, got a couple channels, but yeah, uh, just find me on social media. I love it. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.